thank you so much for your presence here. Receive this worship as an offering unto you. Lord God, all we want to do is glorify you with our lives and our words and our thoughts, Lord. We love you so much in your holy name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it's so good to see you here this morning at church. You know what's interesting about the, the greater Seattle area or even this area of the country is it, that's different than other places that I've been is you don't have to be here. <laughs> no one's going to shame you for not going to church in the morning. In fact, you may get a little guff if you say like, well, I went to church in the morning. They're like, hey, but your lawn needs to be mowed. And you're like, I know, but the Lord's more important than my lawn. Am I right? You know, there's other places that you go in the country where it's, it is the standard to go to church whether you have a true uh, relationship with the Lord or not. And I think sometimes those places are even harder to evangelize because sometimes they already think they're Christians. So you have to unpack their misbelief before you can give them the true belief in Jesus Christ. Here, they don't even care. You can just start from scratch. It's, I think it's actually an easier road here in the Northwest. Well, that's okay. I digress. Uh, my name is Pastor Jay Alexander. I was here back in January, and I was felt honored to be welcomed back. Uh, your pastor, Chris, is in Ohio, I believe, because his mother passed away. So he's there doing uh, those things, and uh, so I was glad that I could come back and, and be with you again. Um, I am the associate pastor at Faith and Victory Church in here in Auburn. It's over on A Street. Um, and so I was glad that this worked out. Actually, my pastor is also out of town. He is, uh, we have a good pastor friend in California who just had a heart transplant. Um, I think sometimes we look at stuff, well, let me say me. Sometimes I look at that stuff and I'm so conditioned to the amazing things that can happen that, oh, it's a heart transplant. It's a gigantic deal to get a heart transplant. <laughs> I mean, he's in this special, I wouldn't call it, it's kind of a hospital, but for months, like he can't leave. They're worried about infection. Every week, there's, his kidneys don't work. Now they do work. Now they have this thing and that thing. And so um, my pastor is down there in California for two weeks um, taking care of his pulpit. And all, all, so we're non-denominational too. And so but, you know, pastors can't do this on their own, right? So they have to have a network of other pastors that can help them and support them, just like we all need a network of people that can help us and support us in the ministry. And so um, there's several pastors from all around the nation that will take their turn going down and covering his pulpit in California while he convalesces from his heart transplant. So praise God that there's connections throughout the kingdom of Christ all across the nation and even the world that can help support his ministry and keep his ministry going through, even when there's uh, calamity and things that come, come upon us. So uh, let's just open up in some prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Lord God, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak what this church needs to hear, but I also pray that you would speak what the individual needs to hear, Lord God. I pray that as we leave this place, we would leave this place different than we came in, that we would leave this place changed because of your word and your truth. In your holy name, Lord, amen. 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 So, so normally, I guess, I'm gonna start off with this. Um, every preacher has their style of how they do things. Um, and what, what I like to do is I feel like the word of God is great to be understood in a 
kind of a, a, an idealistic complex way. But in order for it to change your life, in order for you to truly walk out the scriptures, you have to be able to apply it to your life. There has to be some sort of connection point. Now, the way my brain works, I'm always comparing one thing to another. So if I see something and I say, for me to further understand this concept, what else is that like? And so when I look in the Bible, Jesus is often using uh, stories and parables and things to help the people of the time connect something they currently know and understand to a new biblical spiritual point that he's trying to make for them to uh, understand it better. Because, I mean, when you read the Bible, there's some really... A heavy concepts or some really complex spiritual things, and that if Jesus didn't take the time to kind of break those things down and help people see how they compare to things they already know and understand, it'd be much more difficult. I'm the same way. I feel like some of those people back then who are like, okay, Jesus, I just sat and listened to you for a long period of time, but I still don't understand what you're saying. And Jesus would be like, oh, ye of little faith, how do you not get this? And I, I'm always sympathetic, because I'm like, that would be me. I'd still, I'd like find Jesus afterwards and be like, hey, can we talk some more? I really, right over my head. So when I preach, I always try to take something that we understand and take it and, and show how it compares to the spiritual concept so that as we can walk out of this place, we have some application that we can apply to our lives. So if we start off and it sounds really random, it's not random. I'm going somewhere with it. So bear with me. Um, at my church, they're used to it. If I start talking about something weird, they're like, he must be going somewhere with this. So. so what I'm starting out talking about is that there are 4 million babies born every year in the United States. 4 million. But only about 300,000 are identical twins. Does anybody know any identical twins? Some people, right? When I was in high school, there was seven sets of identical twins. And that sounds like a lot, right? But when you think about it, there's 1,000 people in high school and only 14 of them are identical twins, I say, oh, okay. In context, it's rare. It's rare to be twins. Even though we all know twins, it's rare. And then there's this thing called mirror image twins. And only about 25% of identical twins are mirror image twins. And so mirror image twins is basically just like it sounds. When they're looking at each other, it's the opposite side. So how do I click this thing? Just this arrow? No. Middle? No. Other arrow? I'm just going to keep clicking buttons until something happens. Nope, that's not what was supposed to happen. It's operator error. It's operator error. There we go. I'm an identical twin. I'm a mirror image twin. That's my twin. And so what happens is, and, and if you would see us together, you would see one of my ears is lower than the other, and his is too, just on the opposite side. When I would lose a tooth in my mouth growing up on one side, he would lose it on the other side. I'm not even kidding. We are so similar. Now, you can see that we look slightly different. And if you were to see us in real life together, you would be like, oh, I can tell who's who. Most people can. But if you were to see him in the store somewhere, you'd say, I think I know that guy. Now that you know we're twins, you won't make that mistake. But I get it all the time. I could be in a restaurant in Bonnie Lake and somebody will be just eyeballing me. And I'll be like, I think you know my brother. Oh, yeah, because he's more like. 
because he is a little more like than I am. So we're mirror image twins. And uh, what's, so what's really interesting is, is, so I'm 47, so we were born 47 years ago, and 47 years ago, you know, science and medicine and technology were in a different place than they are today. So today, they'd probably know you were twins before you were even pregnant. But back then, that, that's not the case. Even back then, even something as simple as um, uh, ultrasound was not commonly used everywhere. Now you could get a sonogram, you get a 3D picture of your baby while it's still in the womb. But back then, it, it wasn't the case. So I have an older brother uh, who's five years older, and he was a big baby. So my mom wasn't supposed to be able to get pregnant again, and she did. And so the doctors were like, and it's kind of sad to say, but they're kind of like, well, we'll just ride this one out because this, this shouldn't, shouldn't happen. And so um, they're riding it out, and she's still pregnant, and it's like, okay, this is going to go to term. But my brother was a really big baby, and so obviously we're twins, and we're big, and they're like, well, that's not weird or uncommon. Um, so they just keep going, and everything's fine. Our heartbeats were in sync, so when they would listen for heartbeats, they only heard one, well, two heartbeats, obviously, my, my mom's and ours, but ours were in sync, so they couldn't hear two heartbeats. And normally, uh, twins are side-by-side side in the womb, apparently. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. But normally, they're side-by-side. Side, but I was wrapped around him like this, so they could sense one set of feet. They could sense one body. They're like, hey, there's, there's one in here. They're just really big. And then in sync heartbeats. So then uh, get all the way down to the end where she's going to have the baby. And about 10 days before she has the baby, they send her in to get an x-ray. That's how long ago it was they would x-ray you even if you had a baby. <laughs> they do not do that today. So they did an x-ray, and the x-ray tech was visibly disturbed. Because as you could imagine, if you had two babies wrapped around each other, what that x-ray might look like. And so uh, he's like, oh, we got to, this is according to my mom. He's like, uh, upset, kind of, let's rearrange you. Let's try it differently. They x-rayed, they realize you're actually having twins. So 10 days before my mom gave birth, she realizes she's having twins. But the x-ray uh, looked like conjoined twins. Now, regular twins are rare, but conjoined twins are extremely rare. Only 1,000 cases a year in the United States. Um, I got some pictures of those conjoined twins. Don't be too distracted. This is uh, Krista and Tatiana Hogan. And this is an earlier picture, but they're 15 years old now, and they live in Canada. And like other conjoined twins, they have, uh, they have defied great odds, because you can imagine uh, being born uh, conjoined and then even growing up conjoined is a pretty serious undertaking. Um, these twins are joined by the head, and watch this, their brains are connected by the thalamic bridge. So the most fascinating thing to me about their condition is that they can see out of each other's eyes, and they say they can hear each other's thoughts. Wow, that is so amazing to me, conjoined twins. I got another one for you. This is Abigail and uh, Brittany Hensel. They're 31 years old now, and they live in Minnesota. They're one of the rarest conjoined twins because they share a torso, but they have two heads. So basically, they have one body 
and two heads. I mean, obviously inside when you see the, uh, the x-ray image, they have uh, separate you know, uh, body parts, internal organs, but it all connects together. So you can't, you can't separate twins like this. Um, but uh, like other twins, obviously, uh, like all twins, like other twins, they have separate uh, personalities. They're separate individual people. Um, but these twins actually went to college, got their teaching degree, and they teach fifth grade. Yeah, they both teach fifth grade. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure they both get a paycheck too. <laughs> I mean, you never think about these things, right? I've never considered, have I ever put any thought into the idea that two people could be in one body at the same time, be two completely separate things, but rely 100% on each other for life. It's kind of crazy unless you really think about it and try to compare it to some things. They cannot be separated because they share vital things of life inside of them. They can't live without each other. Where am I going with all this? I'm getting somewhere. In a spiritual way, as Christians, we're conjoined with Christ. The same Holy Spirit that gave Jesus life gives us life. The same things inside that give him life give us life. It's the Spirit of God. If you try to separate from us from Jesus, we would die a spiritual death. The good news is nothing can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. There it is. Oh, that's big enough to see. I was a little worried about that. Well, you know, because on the computer, it's like this big, and you can't see any of it. But in real life, you can see it. Let's look at... Uh, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31, it says this. What shall, we th uh, what, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who does not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are uh, counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet... In all these things, we are more than conquerors through, through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of, love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That's some big stuff. That is a list that Paul lays down there. It's uh, pretty amazing. My first point is this. There's no earthly thing that can defeat the Holy Spirit inside of you. What is Paul referring to when he starts this section off when he says, what shall we say about these things? What things? Now, this is one of the reasons why uh, scripture in context is so important. Um, you know, I got wall hangings in my house that have one verse or part of a verse. I, I get it. 
it's great, it's uh, encouraging, but to truly understand the scriptures, we need to see them in context. So Paul says, what shall we say about these things? It's important to know what these things are. In Romans chapter eight, Paul says a, a bunch of powerful statements in this section of Romans chapter eight. And he's really trying to help the believer get in the right frame of mind so that we can walk through this world in true confidence in Jesus Christ. He's really trying to lay out the case. In Romans chapter eight, uh, eight verse two, he says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, God did by sending his own son. I mean, if you think about it, they've all grown up with this religious tradition of the law being the all-powerful, all-scope thing, right? I mean, he's talking to believers who were Jewish and grew up knowing God in a particular way based on Old Testament law and prophecies. And now Paul is saying basically like, yeah, I get that, but Jesus is a bigger deal than the law. What the law couldn't do, Jesus can do. He's setting what they already know apart from what uh, he, the new point he's trying to make about Jesus. In Romans chapter eight, verses 10 and 11, it says, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit, of, uh, spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's a pretty big concept to go from God being over here to being God-like inside you. The power and amazingness of Jesus rising from the grave, that same spirit is inside of you as a human being. Can I get an amen? That's a big, big deal Paul is laying down. Could you imagine hearing that for the first time? Like, whoa, that, that is some heavy stuff. Romans chapter 8, 14, 16, and 17 says, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. One thing that, and I know this church totally understands, but, the, but some of the global church that has kind of taken and, and just kind of washed away the power and impact of Christ and, and how he died for our sins. And they just want to kind of, you know, water things down. It's, it's really important to understand that those who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. Now, of course, God created all things. So in, in, a, in a physical sense, we are all children of God as being created. But in a spiritual sense, just because you're a human doesn't mean you're saved. So we're talking about in a spiritual sense with the spirit indwelling inside of you, that isn't just everybody. He's talking about people who are led by the spirit, walking in the spirit, who have the Holy Spirit inside of them, who have salvation, who have given their lives to Christ, are sons of God. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. This is what Paul's saying now. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Obviously, Christ is set apart. I'm not trying to say we are equal with Christ. I'm not trying to give that standing. What I'm saying is that the Bible says that if you are our spirit if you have the spirit of God inside of you and that you are saved, a blood-blot believer, that you are co-heirs, not just someone else in the mix, you are co-heirs, brother and sisters with Christ. And I'm gonna get to conjoin. So right now we got twins, right? And pretty soon we're gonna stick them together. 
This is big, big news. Now, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30, the verses right before our verses say, And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose, which is another verse that you may see on a plaque somewhere, written in part, but not in context. And it's, this church is a church of in context. I know it. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, and he might be the fir- that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he then also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. This is a lot of really heavy stuff. The thing about Romans that is so amazing is that there's no fluff in Romans. It's like if you were to ask Paul, like, I want you to hit me up with all the important things about Christ. I want you to connect everything from the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, to Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, and saved by grace. Connect it all together in one book. That's Romans. It could take, we've been studying Romans at, um, faith and victory, and it takes years to go through this stuff. I just pounded through in about seven minutes some stuff that should take you months to fully understand. But I'm trying to set the stage for what Paul is saying and the impact he's trying to create about what he's saying about Jesus Christ and our connection to him as those who are saved. All the suffering and drama and earthly power around you cannot compare or compete with the power and grace and amazing glory that will be revealed through Jesus in us and through us. That's what we're talking about here. And and I know there's a lot of drama in the world today. I'm only 47. Um, My mom was, uh, uh, grew up in the 60s. She was a teenager in the 60s, or um, yeah, a teenager in the 60s. She graduated in the 60s. And so I always look back at the 60s as this time of just amazing turmoil and drama. And I always used to think like, you know, how could, get, how could it get worse than that? Now, I wasn't alive in the 60s, but I'd be willing to bet that the junk that's going on today is a contender. It's, it's crazy and outrageous. Some of the things that go on today are so just, uh, they're just backwards. There's like no logic to it at all. And as Christians trying to walk through this life, it's important to recognize that this life will never have something more powerful, more uh, moving, more damaging than the fact that Christ can redeem it and the fact that Christ is more powerful than it. And that should give us a sense of peace of mind that no matter what you see on the news, you know that Christ is bigger than those things. No matter what conversation you have at work, you know that God is bigger than all this. So if God's allowing this to happen, also know that God is bigger than all this and you don't need to live in fear and worry about what's happening. I mean, pay attention. I'm not trying to mislead you and say, don't pay attention to what's going on in the world. I'm saying, don't worry about what's going on in the world. I'm saying, when you start feeling worried and fearful, I'm telling you to turn to God with it, not turn to your own fear and worry with it. Because God is bigger than all this. What shall we say about these things, the Apostle Paul proclaims? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a, in context, that is a very powerful statement. 
That basically says that if God is for you and with you, then nothing else in this entire world that has happened before or that is happening now or that will happen in the future has any power against that. What else should we say about these things? I'm loving it. Paul's breaking it down in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, there, I'm not gonna say there's not persecution in this country with Christians, because there is to a certain degree. Now, if you would talk to some missionaries from other countries, I, I was uh, talking, I took this um, missionary from China out, and, and how he talked about persecution uh, it kind of blows your mind what they have to do to overcome persecution. So there's a lot of places where there's persecution, but I don't think that diminishes the challenges that we're seeing now with what we're going through. But if you were to take this verse and write it on your mirror so when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, you see that God says, fear not for I am with you, then you would spend the rest of the day encouraged. You may feel like sheep led to the slaughter all day long in this life, but you must draw your strength from the Lord because the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. To me, that's like this, that's this huge revelation because the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead seems like the most powerful thing that's ever existed in the universe. And then Paul is saying, yeah, 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 it is, but that same spirit is inside of you. How can I not walk through this life with a sense of courage and hope and protection, knowing that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit inside of me? Because I believe and I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I've accepted salvation and have the Holy Spirit inside of me. It's a powerful statement that we should not forget. This power is so great that there's nothing in the world can, that can stand against it. So your mind and heart should be focused on the goodness of God, not on your own problems. I'm not trying to minimize anybody's problems. Uh, sometimes I have my own problems. Uh, I know other people who have some amazingly serious problems. Uh, my pastor friend in California is having a heart transplant, and his wife keeps posting updates on social media. And I'm just like, I'm exhausted listening to the update. But he's having to live through it. Uh, you know, he's... Uh, uh, com obviously completely saved. He loves the Lord. He believes everything in the Bible. But even still, going into this season, you could see this, this stress on him. And the idea that now he would have to um, put into practice all those things. Now, so maybe you're in a season, or maybe you've been in a season your whole life that never, ne nothing has ever been so strong that you really had to fall on your face before God and cling to the words that he will never leave you and forsake you. But one day you might. One day you might. And you need to be prepared for that day that God's power is bigger than any problem you could face, whether it's a heart transplant or social upheaval or some issue in your family or anything else that can happen to people. Because if it has happened, it can happen and it will happen. Uh, I don't know if you remember from before, uh, I'm a firefighter. That's how I uh, make my money. That's how I put food on the table for my family. And I will tell you that if you can conceive it, it can happen and probably already has. Uh, I, there's been train derailments over freeways in rush hour traffic. That to me, that's the kind of made up thing that I would tell my boss, like, why are we even talking about this? That'll never happen. Oh, it happened. 
my firefighter friends in Des Moines were responding to that call when that high speed, remember that high speed train crashed over I-5 off the overpass into freeway traffic? There you go. And I have a friend uh, who's a, a firefighter in Des Moines and they responded to that, as you could imagine, many people from all over the area responded to that. But, but we have to really think about those kind of things. Now, for me, uh, being faced with uh, those kind of things and being, in, be, being faced with the idea that I could be intimately involved with any of those kind of things anywhere in the region, I draw a lot of uh, hope and a lot of peace through the idea that God is bigger than all of those things. And we should all draw a lot of hope in those thoughts. My next point is this. You are conjoined with Christ. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39 again. It says this. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? I kind of feel like Paul is trying to think of anything he possibly can that we would worry about. All the big stuff he's throwing in there. I feel like he's, he's, you know, there's a million things he could have said, but I feel like he's trying to think of all the biggest ones that we could. Well, what about death? He throws it in there. What about distress? He throws it in there. What if we're starving? He throws it in there. He wants us to know that nothing can separate us from Christ. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. All of these things in tribulation, in distress, in persecution, in the worst moments of our entire life, we are more than conquerors because of Jesus who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor, tell me if he's missing anything here, death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're stuck together with Jesus like conjoined twins. If we are separated from Christ, we cannot survive. He, he possesses these vital organs that we're sharing with him in order to have spiritual life at all. We're connected and you can't separate us. Apart from Jesus, we would be dead in our sins and transgressions, and I know you know that. But it's great to reflect on the fact that we do have salvation by being conjoined with Christ. We are God's children through Jesus, but only if we're connected to Jesus. Now, there's so much around us that we can't control. For some people, the idea of the things they can't control really stresses them out. Um, the, the, you know, I, I've talked to people, uh, people close who uh, that have these ar arguments, kind of like arguments, where you have these battles back and forth where they're like, well, I can control what happens with my kids. And I'm like, can you though? I mean, to a certain extent, you have influence on people. Kids are a great example. To a certain extent, you have influence on things, right? You could teach them, uh, you could teach them the Lord. You could um, set the stage for them to have a personal relationship with Christ. You can bring them to uh, church. You can do all these different things. But if you're a parent, you already know, I'm not telling you something new, that kids are their own little individual people and can make their own decisions. 
I know parents who think that they can threaten their kids into making decisions. Maybe that's a temporary solution. Maybe you can threaten them into doing something today, but you won't threaten them into doing it for their lives. So yeah, we have a certain measure of influence, but there are many things in our life we can't control. That dotted yellow line on the, on the, uh, the two-way freeway is not actually protecting you from that car coming at you at 50 miles an hour. It feels like it is because the car doesn't cross over, but I'm here to tell you that that piece of paint is not protecting you. You can't control those things. But with all the things we can't control, it can be super stressful and overwhelming. But even still, we are more than overcomers because Christ has loved us. There's no trouble too big for God. And that's the part that we really need to remember. Now, with all this list of Paul's things, all these gigantic things, death, famine, uh, violence, everything, um, I think sometimes it's even, it, it, it actually is easier for us to hand over the big things to God because we do know there's nothing we can do about it. When my dad was lying in his deathbed on hospice, what am I gonna do about that? There's nothing I can do about it. All I can do is sit there and say, Lord Jesus, your will be done. It's kind of easy if you think about it. There's nothing you can do. So what do you have left? Jesus, take the wheel. You do your will, right? But I think where we can get tripped up, especially in our lives, in our climate, is we can get tripped up not allowing the small things to be given over to Christ. So we take these small things, these worries, these stresses, these things we think we can control, and we allow them to create a wedge between us and Christ and separate us. And these things that are small, they really only have the power that we're giving them. I mean, if you think about that, the worries you have right now, but what you saw in the news, that has power over you because you're allowing it to have power over you. If it was something gigantic like cancer, you'd be like, I just know nothing I could do about it anyway. But when it's something small that you feel like you have power over, you have trouble giving that over to the Christ. I know I can have that trouble sometimes. It's the thoughts we dwell on. It's the choices we make with our time, the small decisions every day that stack up little by little to creating separation if we're not paying attention to that. It may be trials and trouble, but it really could be comfort and convenience. I mean, have you thought about the idea that sometimes we're so comfortable and lives have been, been made so convenient by technology or just the way the world's going that somehow we forget that we're conjoined with Christ, that our life-giving spirit comes from Christ because we get so comfortable we forget that that's where we draw our strength from. Philippians chapter, I think that's my next slide actually. Philippians chapter four, verse six through seven. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything. And peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts you. If you feel like anxiety is overwhelming you, if you feel like you worry all the time, you're having trouble sleeping because of it, and all this wackiness that we see going on right now, 
is, is, is overtaking your thoughts and minds. These verses are for you. Write them down. Read them every morning. Be anxious for nothing. Why? Because when you bring your cares and concerns to God, the peace of God, which surpasses your ability to understand why it's the case, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We can be really good at putting the giant things in God's hands uh, because they're uncontrollable, but we struggle with the small things. It's like those twins who are connected by their brains. We need to share the mind of Christ, hear his thoughts, and see the world through his eyes. That's how you're gonna have peace in this life. It's like conjoined twins. Your body's not your own. If you think about it like that, what's interesting to me about these conjoined twins is your body's not your own. Let's look at what this it says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Um, when I was looking up conjoined twins, uh, which is fascinating, and it will, it will suck hours away from your life once you get on the internet looking for conjoined twins. It is so interesting. But I found this story where there's a set of conjoined twins, and the one twin is suing the other twin in court. Yeah, yeah, this, is, this was happening at some point in time. They're suing the other twin in court to stop the other twin from marrying their ex-husband. And you think your life is complicated. One twin's ex-husband wants to marry the other conjoined twin, and so this twin is suing that twin to block that marriage. It's amazing, isn't it? Like, it's, it's like, like I could have had a slide for it, but it would have been too complicated to create. What's interesting is they, they can't be physically separated, but this would emotionally destroy them. Could you imagine that if, if what was connected to you was married to your ex-husband? That's really weird to think about, right? But they can't be separated. They, they are experiencing things in the same exact body. So you can't just make a decision to please yourself without considering the other person, right? Right? So you can't marry the world without considering who you share a body with. If Christ is inside you and you are not your own, you can't go marry the world and go do what the world does and expect that relationship to work out the way it's supposed to. Your body's not your own. You are conjoined with Christ. Don't go marrying the world like your ex-husband. It's not going to work. Romans chapter 8, verse 10 and 11 again, as if Christ, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of, is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's the third or fourth time I've said that, because I want you to remember it. If you walk out of here with one thing, I want you to walk out of here remembering that the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. You have the power to overcome your thoughts and your mind. You have the power to understand how God is supreme over all your world's problems. This is big stuff. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. 
The last thing I want to talk about is that Christ died so that you could be saved and no one can take that away from you. I mean, there's so many things in this world, and again, I guess it depends on the context of your culture. Here, we probably don't think about it as much as you may think about it in other countries like maybe Ukraine or Russia right now. But there's so many things in our world that could be taken away from us at, from us at any moment. And I know sometimes I, I kind of have this, I guess you'd call it false confidence that, that I have protection over this sphere. You know, I take care of my wife, I take care of my kids, I work hard at my job, I'm trying to save money for the future. But realistically, in a heartbeat, all of that could be wiped out. So how can I draw confidence in those things? But you know what can never be wiped out is no one can steal away or destroy the faith in Jesus Christ that's within me. Christ died so that I could be saved. No one can take that away. No one can undeath Christ. People could try to talk you out of it. People could say that you're wrong. People can take everything in your life away from you. And at the end of the day, you will still have the fact that Christ died so that you could be saved. I have confidence in that. Verse 34 said, if Christ who died and furthermore also risen, of course, that's the foundation of Christianity, is it not? That Christ died but also is risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And verse 32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he with him also, uh, how shall he not with him also, also freely give us all things? So nothing can separate you from God's everlasting love through Christ. You were conjoined with the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, lives inside of you. But first, you must be a believer in Jesus Christ. And that's what God's love through Jesus was all about. And I think, um, obviously, I, I feel like it's not the case in this church, but, but it, in, the, in the global church, or at least the church in the, this country, they've softened a lot of points to try to make the gospel more accessible, but in the process, they've kind of taken some important points out of the gospel. And one of those things is that you must be a believer in Jesus Christ to be saved. You must have the Spirit of God inside of you. When you take that away from it, it all falls apart. You first must be a believer in Jesus Christ. And John 3, uh, 16 through 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. You have to consider the power of the gospel unto salvation through Jesus Christ. So often I think we can get caught up in our, in our testimonies and in our evangelism in worrying about somebody asking questions out of this gigantic book that we can't answer. But I'm just a practical person. I'm always like, make it tangible, make it applicable. You can have your testimony and your a gospel presentation be as simple as the fact that Christ died and that he rose again and if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that you can be saved. Repent of your sins, go and live a new life. Well, what about Noah and the ark? It doesn't matter about Noah and the ark. Let's talk about what really matters. Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God in you as a believer. And it's not in you if you are not a believer.
Now, all these statements that we talked about today, pretty much the entire last 42 minutes of this sermon are for you, the believer. The the book of Romans and basically the whole New Testament is written to believers. It's written as an encouragement to you. It's written as knowledge to you to support your faith and understand where your faith is and where it goes and how it's foundational. Now, uh, the only revelation I think that an unsaved person can get is Jesus Christ and him crucified. I believe the Bible says that as well. So trying to battle over all this stupid stuff that we deal with in our world is, to me, is fruitless and irrelevant. Let's not even argue about it. First, we have to start with this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, this is my last verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no other way. My dad used to say that, and my dad passed away in 2017. Um, And it's interesting that while sometimes while the people important to you are alive, you don't seem to think about them or give a lot of weight to uh, the things they do and say. But what was a huge blessing was my dad, he tried to die, uh, but he was in the hospital. And so they kept saving him and bringing him back to life. It it was amazing to watch because we all made it there in time, but they saved him. So he lived another nine months. And what was really great about that to me is that I got to spend those nine months getting to know him better, know his faith better, and know the power of what he had his faith and confidence built on. So take the time now to really get deep knowledge of the people you love, because you don't get to choose that stuff. But one thing he used to say all the time, that I say now all the time, is just such a simple, simple fact. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's something that you can count on, that's something you can build your faith on, and that's something you can share with others who don't have a faith yet. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your time. I thank you for your trust. Lord God, I pray that that whatever you spoke this morning will stick, and as we walk out of this place, our lives can be changed because we know your word better, Lord God. Speak to us and continue to speak to us as we just try to do better and continually turn to you for our comfort and peace. In your holy name, amen. Let's have one more song. We'll worship him with one more song, and then we can go.